Aloud, Rediscovering the Lost Art of Reading and Listening by Francesco Dimitri. Introduction. Around a campfire and over mammoth stakes, our prehistoric ancestors were already telling tall tales. That was the biggest mammoth that ever was. It wasn't even a mammoth, I'm telling you. It was a monster. It cried with a human voice. By sharing stories, they gathered. By gathering, they became stronger. Sharing stories is what makes humans human. More than the fire, it was the campfire that allowed Homo sapiens to come together and create tribes, cities, and states. When we use the word story today, we think of writing on a page or images on a screen. A story is an object, a thing, and yet for most of human history, the only way you could experience a story was to hear it from the lips of a storyteller. A story was not a thing, but an event that people would be drawn to. They would meet, listen, laugh, and perhaps fight and then make up. The story was the campfire. The campfire was the story. Many kinds of fires have been lit throughout the millennia. We say that a person called Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, but we don't actually know if he was the one who wrote them down or if he even existed at all. What we do know is that in the ancient Greek city-states, there were epic poets who told extraordinary tales to people as they feasted. Tales of kings and princes and the duels they fought, of wooden horses used as subterfuges in war, of beautiful creatures, part woman, part bird, who lured unsuspecting mariners to their deaths. Their words weren't meant to be written down and read, but spoken and heard. In Gaelic halls, bards would turn petty politics into engrossing narratives, singing their words in ways not dissimilar to the Greek poets. You would listen to a bard, you had to be there with him, breathing the same air, making eye contact to decide whether he was any good. It was not only stories that were told aloud, but also items of news, pieces of wisdom, everything that now belongs to ink and paper and screen. In Greece and Rome, skilled orators would attract crowds. Socrates would make philosophy by talking to people in the streets. Folk tales were repeated at harvest bonfires. Strange news traveled from mouth to mouth and market to market. Ghost stories were whispered on long winter nights. There's something powerful in being there, in person, while words happen. It creates a bond, a sense of community. It generates conversations about matters more interesting than the weather. Listening to words read aloud is, quite simply, a lovely experience. So why don't we do it anymore? It is not that we don't share art. We do, every day. Part of the pleasure of going to the cinema comes from your being there with other people, crossing your fingers that they won't be of the keeping their phones on persuasion. Television can be shared also. You might not have watched How I Met Your Mother if your partner had not asked you to just as your partner only watched Breaking Bad because you were doing so. Together you crack jokes, gorge on popcorn, 
Sure, many of us also watch films and TV series on our own, but it is just as common, indeed probably more so, to watch them in company. The same goes for most forms of art. People go to a concert. Few people go to a concert to be alone. The ceiling of the Sistine Chapel wasn't painted for the private enjoyment of Pope Julius II. Even video games, touted for decades as the loneliest form of entertainment, created online communities as soon as the internet made it feasible. For those of us who remember playing games in arcades, know that even this was anything but lonely. We don't share words anymore, though. Words belong to books, and you are supposed to relish a book all on your own. Let me be clear, that sense of taking a solitary walk in the woods, as Umberto Eco put it, is a wonderful, special thing books do, an authentic form of magic. But works, books can work a different magic as well. Books can be for sharing. Fast forward from bardic halls to a living room in present day London, and you will see me taking coffee with my wife, a friend of ours, and her two-year-old daughter. Our friend was visiting for an early week winter weekend, armed with the tools of a young mother's trade, toys and puppets and miniature drums, and a book about a witch. My friend knows that I have some odd interests, the history of magic being one. So, during a second round of coffee, she picked up the book and started reading it to me. It was meant to be a joke, but I found myself engrossed. Groggy and sleep-deprived de sleep as I was, we had had a late night, I was drawn into the world of a witch on a broomstick who flew over the country having adventures that weren't exactly thought-provoking, but were strangely fascinating to me. I glanced at my wife and the little girl. The spell was working on them as well. So we all sat, two adults and one child, listening to the story. My friend, somewhat bemused, was kind enough to read it out to the very end. The story obliterated the last traces of doziness in a way that caffeine hadn't managed to do. And the witch remained stuck in my head. Why had my wife and I enjoyed that reading so much? Neither of us would have read the story on our own, and yet both of us had been delighted by it. There was something mysterious at work there, but what was it? A few days later, I was clearing the last autumn leaves from the garden when my eyes fell on the small, rusty fire pit we have in the corner. The penny dropped, and I understood. We had built a campfire. The idea of reading aloud to grown-ups is not new. In the past, people would read aloud for a variety of reasons. To woo their beloved, to inspire a friend, to persuade someone in their care to take a particular course of action. The novelist Flaubert read aloud everything he wrote to check the quality of his writing. It was not only stories that were read aloud, but also reflections, meditations, pieces of practical philosophy. Reading aloud and listening used to be a widely enjoyed leisure activity and a way of giving and receiving advice. The time has come to rediscover it. The US psychiatrist Edward Hallowell coined the expression human moment. 
He pointed out that useful as digital communication is, it makes us forget how important it is to talk face to face to other people. We have a human moment when we share a physical space with another person, actively listening to that person while that person listens to us in turn. We are both present, concentrating on the here and now with no hurry to move on. Such moments foster friendship, creativity, and well-being. They are vital to our mental health, and yet we have fewer and fewer of them, even with our closest friends and family. We are so busy, and digital communication technologies have become so ubiquitous that we don't always remember how a human moment is supposed to happen. Surely, replying to John's tweet is almost good as buying him a drink, right? I'm not saying we should ditch our technology, of course not, but we do need to find a new balance. When my friend started reading aloud, she made a human moment happen. She, my wife and I were all mindfully present, just happy to be there. And we didn't need anything more than that. Mindfulness in its modern Western form can be broadly defined as the capacity for living in the moment enjoying all the qualities for the present, a state of mind that fosters creativity, relieves stress, and helps with problem solving. It is not an easy state to achieve. Mindfulness requires some training, which can be frustrating and brings results only after a while, and our pace of life certainly doesn't make it any easier. Reading aloud is a gentle, effortless way to reach that state. The physical presence of the person you read to or who reads to you in a small intimate setting as well as the time limit naturally imposed by the length of the piece of writing conspire to anchor you to the here and now making you mindful without you even noticing it this is what makes the experience so refreshing this is what captivated my wife and me when my friend read us the story of the witch Many pieces of literature are less good when voiced than they are on the page. Some fall flat. Some have an uneasy flow. Not the ones in this book. They will give of their best when read aloud. Go on. Give it a try in the bookshop right now. You will see what I mean. If you attract strange looks, nod to the person, smile, and read to them. Yes, I am being serious. As a non-native speaker, I have an odd relationship with English. I love it profoundly, but I am also very aware of its formal qualities. It is not nature, but nurture to me. When researching this book, I was looking for pieces that have an oral quality to them. And yet I couldn't exactly define what an oral quality was supposed to be. I still can't. Some writings work when read aloud because of the oral texture they create. Others because of their conceptual rhythm. There is not one road to orality, but a myriad of small paths. I have tried to explore a few of them. I hope you'll enjoy what I found and make use of it. This book's book is a toolbox for well-being. Literary self-help, if you like. I unashamedly aim to improve your life through literature and human connection, rather than the umpteenth step-by-step -step program. 
take 10 minutes off, sit down with somebody you care about, and share a passage of writing. You will both feel more relaxed and connected, as if you had spent two hours together in a spa. If this sounds too good to be true, you only need, well, 10 minutes to put it to the test. All the pieces in this book are short. The longer ones take 15 minutes to be read aloud, many of them a lot less. You don't need time to you don't need to make time for a lengthy session. You can just flip the pages and give it a go. Also, you don't need any training. This is not a book for actors, bards, and public speakers. Using it does not require any skill at all. What matters is being there, experiencing the moment for what it is. Whether you are the one who reads or the one who listens, the one who gives the gift or the one who receives it, the reader or the readee. The pieces are organized into nine sections, tackling nine different aspects of life. Each piece also has a number of tags, companionship, comfort, magic, happiness, married life, calm, resilience, anxiety, regret, self-knowledge, and so on, attached to it. They identify themes, moods, qualities, states of life, and states of mind, on which the piece in question sheds light. By consulting the index of tags at the back of the book, you can search for and identify pieces to suit the specific needs of a specific moment. Each section opens with a short introduction and with a personal rewriting of a classic myth. The roots of our culture are in the classics, after all, and they remain a precious reservoir of wisdom. So dip into To Read Aloud, my friend. Turn its pages, seek out a piece to read to a friend, partner, or lover, and make a gift of words. Your next human moment begins now. Mm -hmm.